to another episode of Lie, Cheat, and Steal, the podcast about liars, frauds, thieves, and bullshitters. I'm your host, Pat Soroyce. With me, as always, my co-host, Kath Barbadoro. Hi, Pat. How you doing? I'm doing good. Doing good. I just uh, getting ready to get all packed up to go on tour tomorrow. I went and bought yeah. some clothes, and I've been playing dress up for the last hour in my room. That's been Florida. Fun. Yeah, the whole Florida, two weeks. man. The, what's that? The whole two weeks, Florida, or are you going up the, yeah, up doing, the coast? I'm doing Florida, and I'm doing, uh, like, I'm, I'm pinballing around in Florida for, like, the first four nights. Then the, the next leg of the tour, we're going up to, like, Georgia, Virginia, and Kentucky. And then I'm coming back down, and uh, I'm doing three more shows, or possibly four more shows in Florida again, and then I'm flying nice. back out. Yeah, yeah it's gonna so be if a- you're in any of those states, definitely go see Pat. It'll be a yeah, good time. Yeah, yeah, come check. Even if you're seven or eight hours away, just quit your job, <laughs> hop in the car, drive on down come and on see out. me. You'll you you will yeah. be richly rewarded with a good comedy show and Pat going, Wow, that's awesome. So yeah. you know, probably worth it. <laughs> oh shit, y'all drove that fight. It would be me just strongly being like, You really should have done that, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always we, we, feel that way. It's such a mixture of of feelings when someone says that they have traveled a very long way to see me do something where I'm like, Yeah. That, like, you I do not value that. your time the way I value my time, but I'm glad yeah, you're here. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've had a few Patreon listeners like come out. Like we did a show in Amro, Wisconsin, and uh, we had two listeners drive out. They were like, "Yeah, it was about three hours round trip." And I was like, "Oh, I would, I wouldn't have done that." But okay. <laughs> yeah, there were um, there back in pre-COVID times. Um, there were these two Master Pancake fans who would drive down from Dallas every like every, every time we'd have a new show. So like once a month at least, they would drive down from <laughs> Dallas. And they brought, they would bake us cookies and bring us cookies. And it's like, you already drove like three hours. Like, yeah. Anyway. I already feel bad. Yeah. (laughs) I I was taking a show in rural Oklahoma one time. This guy came up to me and Matt Sadler afterwards. And he was like, yeah, it was my first time coming to a comedy show. I go, you from around here? He goes, I live in Dallas, just like five hours away. We're like, oh, what are you doing out here? He goes, well, we came for the comedy show. And Matt was like, they have comedy in Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big city, man. They have shows there. That's so funny. So I actually think I have a pretty good segue from okay. what we were talking about that I would I would really like to try. Uh, so we were just talking about people come from very far away to see us do comedy sometimes. And it's very flattering, but also a little intense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, our story today is about something else that people will travel very, very far for. Um, according to the proprietor of this establishment, people will travel from across the world to come do this thing i'm talking about of course the super high-end world of high-end fine dining that Ooh. is what our story is about today yeah i you know i've driven you know i i've made the, made the trip uh, across town to get some whataburger myself so i understand this <laughs> absolutely i mean i think about i i'm trying to think about like the longest i've like gone for food um I well, when I lived in Austin, there is one. At least when I lived there, there was one good bagel place in Austin. Yeah, it was called Holy Bagel, and it was down by the airport. It was like south of town, and I would volunteer to drive people to the airport so that I could go get. <laughs> I think that I think that's as far as I've gone. I might be wrong about that. But yeah, there, I think that's it. Back in like like when I lived in uh, Connecticut, like the, New England just is not as convenient as Texas in terms of like, you know, oh, there's like a, you know, just like at any given hour of the night you can go and get food at a at a drive-in restaurant pretty much anywhere in Texas, like, you know. But uh Connecticut was less was less uh 
accommodating. And yeah, we took some drives to get Taco Bell like three in the morning. Like he's going to drive to <laughs> Bristol. We'd be like in like, you know, I don't know, Manchester or some shit. You know, like, it's like, we always got to drive to the Bristol Taco Bell. You got a journey. Yeah. The not necessarily as supportive of the 24 hour lifestyle. New not England. nearly. Yeah. I, I did notice that as soon as I moved there and I was like, oh, I got to get gas. And it's 1130. And this is a problem. Man, I am so spoiled now living in New York. When I was in LA, I I was I went to a wrestling show that it was from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. And so I was like, I'm used to New York. So I was like, oh, well, no big deal. I'll just eat a late lunch and then I'll eat a late dinner. Yeah. You know? I get out of this wrestling show. Nothing is open. I'm like, <laughs> what is this? That's like Los this Angeles, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like fa- there was fast food, but like yeah. I'm on vacation. I want to get meals that like count, you know, yeah, I don't want to sure. eat something that's like not special yeah so <laughs> i did i ended up going to in and out because it was like the only place that was open that like felt california yeah yeah that's what's know? up yeah they, they got the palm trees out front i get it <laughs> yeah yeah it was fine but i was just like what the fuck like i could never live here i yeah. restaurants should close at midnight I'm they're, sorry. They're everywhere yeah and so yeah. so i'm cl- so we're talking about our in and outs and our taco bells and our water burgers and i'm like curious what fine dining is even left like where 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 could you possibly <laughs> even be talking about because it feels like we covered all the bases yeah, well, speaking of restaurants with weird hours, um, that is part of what the story is about. This is uh, a story of both a restaurant and a man that share a name. Uh, his name and its name is Damon Burrell. That is who we are talking about today. Damon Burrell. He uh, owns a restaurant of the same name in uh, upstate New York. Uh, about an hour outside of of Albany, so like pretty rural, like yeah. not 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 where you think of fine dining. Um, yeah, yeah, that's okay. I'm getting real uh, documentary now. Uh, Juan loves rice and chicken vibes off of this already. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> so um, the yeah, it's in the place called Earlton, New York. This this restaurant. So. It it's real buzzy. We're we're gonna we're gonna just dive into it here. By the way, a lot of the um, there was sort of a big profile of this guy that most of this information comes from. Like I read a bunch of other stuff, but almost all of it was reacting to this um, New Yorker profile of this guy. Okay, it came out in 2016. It was written by Nick Palmgarten, and uh, it's called the most exclusive restaurant in America. So. Uh, it is, it is juicy. It is a good, it is a good (laughs) read if you're interested in this. Um, but yeah, so what is Damon Burrell? Uh, it's the name of a restaurant and its proprietor. And it is known, uh, for the fact that Damon allegedly does everything at this restaurant by himself. So that not only includes cooking it, serving it to you, cleaning up after he also forages all of the ingredients for your meal. Um, on his property in Earlton, New York. He has a 12-acre farm, and all of it com- – there are a few exceptions. So he he has a supplier for meat, seafood, and dairy. Everything else comes Whoa. from this farm. Like, the oil, the flour, yeah. like, everything else is from his property. Just the um, – just the, how unsustainable that all sounds. Just, like, like I just see all – like, definitely this guy – it feels like there's a big a big capacity for fraud in the story because that seems like an impossible task unless you're making, like, one dish a day. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting because – like, what is the fraud in this story is is kind of curious to me. Because, like, one thing that becomes clear is that, like, he is an incredibly talented cook. But okay. 
as you said, there is so much of this is like seems impossible. And also like so much of fine dining is about like the story you're telling, you know, and this is this is an amazing story that like. It is, you said this seems unsustainable. From a labor perspective, that is completely true. But as far as like sustainable food goes, it's such a cool idea. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's producing all of this stuff himself. And he's making, not only is he making food out of it, he's making incredible food out of it. So that is sort of the the allure of of this restaurant. Um, it's, It's just, it's literally in the basement of his house and... He all of the food comes from the property. So um, here's just like an example of his process. Um, I will also say, like, I believe all of the people who say this food is good. None of it sounds that good. <laughs> it all sounds. Yeah, it's it like, sounds like stuff you make out of shit you find in your yard. Like, yeah, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, like a little like a, like a glass a grass clipping reduction and like a fucking <laughs> and an old license plate saute. <laughs> yeah. So like he again here's an example so like he his story about this is that he is primarily self-taught and most of his methods are things that he just sort of figured out from living on this land. So like he knew for example that um pine needles make the soil acidic. When pine needles fall on the ground and decompose, it's harder to grow plants there. So he thought, "Huh, pine needles are acidic." I can process pine needles and make juice and powder and pine needle pulp and use it to cure meats. Like, oh, shit. Because it's, uh, you know, that yeah. that's super interesting. He said um, he was watching deer in the woods and um, they would eat like the inner bark of certain trees. And so he tried the bark and he was like, oh, this bark is salty. So like, oh. yeah, just he he was chopping wood and he figured out that this like particular lichen that grows on the wood um during certain seasons it tastes really oniony so he harvests it during those seasons and he makes this like cooked powder out of it that tastes like onions um that does sound really cool that's uh yeah that that sounds dope it is it seems like a lot of trial and error because it feels like he had a bunch of bark that wasn't good in the meantime you know like it was just like right like how many times did he get terrible food poisoning that's what i want to know I watched that show like it was like hundred days alone or whatever, where they just like dropped somebody off on like an island in like near Arctic Canada, and they just mm. were like hanging out there. Like this one guy, like none of his food traps were working, so he decided to eat rock slime or like it's a lichen, is what they called it. And within like mm-hmm. a day, he had like shoot up the signal flares. Like take me home, my shit's dead. You know, like his <laughs> guts were just ruined. Yeah, I mean you got to be really careful, especially with like mushrooms and stuff. Like he's yeah, he's harvests a lot of mushrooms. Um, he like, yeah, he gathers like clover. He, another thing he does a lot is like, like I said, everything comes from this area. So like, um, all of the sweeteners, he doesn't have sugar. He doesn't grow sugar cane. Um, all of his sweeteners are tree sap. So he like harvests all these different types oh, of tree sap. Shit. That's, uh, <laughs> um, in the, in the salt is my tears and the tree sap is this. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's crazy. Like, just, again, the amount of effort that it takes to, like, make something sweet in this world or to make something salty is, like, so insane. Yeah, he's like, Um, like, Damon had me over for dinner. I was there for four days. Uh, I guess it was okay. (laughs) You know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that, so the other thing is, like, this restaurant, as of 2016, 
it it's you go you just get a tasting menu there's no menu you just you get you know what he serves you yeah and it's a five hour experience and it costs about 450 dollars so it's a big to do you know yeah yeah so here's an example um, from the New Yorker article about like one of the courses um, and the sort of explanation that, that goes along with it. So he has served uh, uh, the first course on a slab of sawed wood. Uh, the course is a small rectangle of what looked like salami atop a curled cracker. Damon says, it took me 16 to 18 months to make cedar flour. I use a pole knife, a two-handed grater to shave off some cedar under the bark. The shavings are bitter, tannic, inedible. I soak them in water. Every four to six weeks, I soak them. After a year or a year and a half, I can grind it into cedar flour. So the crisp is made from cedar flour with a little hickory nut oil, duck egg white powder, water, and sea salt, which I render from ocean water. Uh, he he uh, then says that the, um, the salami is bluefoot chicken that has been cured in pine needle juice uh, for 18 months. So that's... A fucking lunchable. Like, yeah, <laughs> that is how yeah. he makes a lunchable. <laughs> yeah, dude. Whenever I hear like about like like um, a food that has to be like stored for like eighteen months or whatever like that, like Tabasco, a Tabasco sauce, it says age for three years, and I always yeah. just think like when they sealed that barrel up, like that'd be the hardest three years of their life. Where there's like, man, I'm telling you, in like a year, I'm gonna have some wild ass shit. But until then, I do need to borrow money. Right. Yeah. The first batch. Goddamn. Yeah. That's gonna take you, yeah, yeah. It's gonna take you three years. You're like, bro, when this comes out, they're like, is it, it's like, does it, does it taste good? Like, well, it kind of hurts. It hurts a little bit, but you gotta, you gotta trust me on this. <laughs> yeah, like, how long, how long? When do you know when to stop soaking your cedar shavings yeah. to make flour? <laughs> like, at what point do you give up on that process? Yeah. Like, or that you, like, so or you fucking, I mean, you use them and you're like, you use them at 14 months and you're like, oh, they're not ready yet. Looks like I gotta just throw these back right. in. Right? Why is your solution months. to keep going? Like, yeah, it's just, just be like, no, this doesn't work. <laughs> no, I say I would. I say I would give up at that point. Like I wouldn't give it. I wouldn't even have started this in the first place. So maybe I need to think about where yeah. I'm coming from. Like I would, I would have <laughs> given up at that point. But like, I would have given up the first afternoon and gone and got Taco Bell. For real, yeah. So, um, and I this is like a really key paragraph I think in the New Yorker article because the guy who's eating this food is like. It was delicious, though it was difficult and would continue to be difficult through the next four hours of my meal to tell whether my appreciation, fervent as it often became, had been enhanced by the description of the work and the ingredients that had gone into it. The tongue is suggestible. New words register as new flavors. As numerous blind wine tastings over the years have demonstrated, you taste what you want to taste. So... I think that is a very important thing to keep in mind yeah. when we're talking about all of this stuff is like, you can't separate this like story from what you're getting. As yeah. Food I, I, I feel like there's about to be like an emperor's new clothes kind of like a moment in this where it's just like, like some guy in the restaurant's like, um, Hey man, this all kind of tastes like shit, right? <laughs> Everybody just has to like silently agree. Be like, yeah, he spits out like his acorn stew. He's like, yeah, you know what? That did kind of suck, man. Not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, that is what is interesting here is like a lot of these things do become unraveled, but by most accounts, he is an incredibly talented cook and yeah. a really like a very sort of interesting person. So yeah. like, 
however, a lot of the other details about this are a little suspect. So, like, for example, um, the the other thing that he is known for is that he has an insane waiting list to get into this restaurant. Oh, so it yeah. is extremely critically lauded. Like, a ton of food, like, food critic authorities are, like, rave about this restaurant. Um, but according to him, uh, there is a 10-year-long waiting list. And <laughs> he has stopped taking... At the, at the time of the article's publication in 2016, he had he had been on pause and wasn't taking new reservations for six years. Wow. So, so I, yeah. I can do a little bit of math here. It's a $450. Is that per person? That is per person. $450 per person. Yeah. So if you, like, I mean, just start out, let's say you, you see, you have like a party of four come out and you do two mm. a day, five days a week. Like you're making money, man. I mean, you are, but then like, think about how much time is going into Oh yeah. That's very, yeah. You got to go bleach a pine cone every six minutes. <laughs> so yeah. Every, I, yeah. You know, like, I guess you it got, is, you gotta put it that is expensive. Yeah, for sure. It is. It is very expensive. I would like, love if you also, had one employee and it was a dishwasher. <laughs> like the guy sucked. <laughs> like, it's, like, <laughs> it's all me. It's just me out here. I do have, yeah, I do have Frank. He washes dishes and he should be back there, but I guess he's smoking again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Someone who like doesn't care about the food just yeah like yeah, <laughs> yeah he's got earbuds in and shit just hanging out <laughs> so yeah according to him um between december 2013 and mid-march 2014 like about four months uh he received this was after sort of there was a big article about him in uh bloomberg about this restaurant and apparently after that he said uh we got um 125,000 reservation requests from 72 countries and I had to shut down my reservations because it, like I'm just one guy. Yeah. So this is, this is going to be that a huge then no. becomes is this guy married? like he is married. Um, he, he has a wife. Oh. He says he, you don't meet the wife in the story. Um, yeah, but he, so he lives with his wife and he has a, a, a kid who he says has like some serious disabilities and so the his wife kind of spends most of her time taking care of his kid, but you don't like meet any of these people in the story. Okay. So like, All right. I do know at least the wife is real because I did look them up. Yeah. But I, yeah, I who knows? Um, yeah, that's just, I, that's just crazy because I couldn't imagine like I could imagine that being a source of friction. You know, it's <laughs> like hey, I need you to yeah help me get the groceries out the car, and this dude is just like you know, like like plucking bird feathers to me. You know, it's I don't know. It feels like there's <laughs> a that'd be a hard relationship to keep afloat. Yeah. For real. They've been married since 1986, so oh, good for yeah. them. Run, girl, run for your life. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's like a very hard reservation to get. Um, the guy who wrote the New Yorker story tried to get a reservation, obviously. And uh, when he tried to get a reservation, he got an email back uh, from this guy named Terrence, who said that he is the guy who handles Damon's reservations. He's been doing it since 1993. And that uh, Damon, unfortunately, could not fit him in. And uh, his his restaurant and his kitchen is too small, so he didn't want to have the New Yorker guy come um, observe a typical seating. But we've moved some things around. You can come up on his day off, and he'll hang out with you on his day off. <laughs> so the New Yorker guy's like, great. And that's where all of those descriptions of the food came from. Okay. From when he went up there on, on uh, Damon's day off, and he cooked for him. 
Yeah. So he can't even give I'm you a saying beer. all of that. This will all become important later. Okay. <laughs> so. yeah, was, yeah, coming to my day off, I'll give you a beer. It took me 14 years to make it, and I only have three of them. So, yeah, you might want to bring your own. <laughs> You might want to appreciate it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're of that pretty fast there, buddy. <laughs> so, again, like, even the confirmable facts about this guy are, like, pretty interesting. Because, like, so now that we've gone through the restaurant, I'm going to talk a little bit about the guy. So, Damon Burrell, the man, uh, he grew up in Long Island. And uh, he spent some time upstate in the summers. And his parents eventually moved to this town, Earlton, New York, where his restaurant is after they retired. Um before so he he makes a big deal about being a self-taught chef like he's not he didn't go to culinary school or anything um his prior career actually before opening a restaurant was that he was a professional motocross racer oh and yeah he did that through the 80s he when his restaurant closed for renovations in 2002 he went back to it for a little bit and uh he said he made a little money doing it um but yeah then he uh started this catering business with his wife that turned into the restaurant. Whoa, okay. So, I think he did go to culinary school and he would have found out that you can buy ingredients at the store. <laughs> like, what the, wait, right. what? <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> okay, yeah, I guess that would have been worth the cost of tuition. That does change things. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, um, he and his wife married in 1986, as I said, and soon after that, um, his parents sold him a plot of land in Earlton across the street from their own. So that's where he lives and where the restaurant is. Um, He paid his parents $1,000 for six acres, and then he bought the additional six acres in 2011, and that makes this 12-acre farm where he grows all of the stuff. Um, He also says that he, in sort of true this guy fashion, um, he built his house uh, himself. So. Just very into being self-sufficient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just loving like I built the house, and you're like, it just sucks. You're like, yeah, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) I do like that he's like very into being self-sufficient, but then he's like, yeah, my parents basically just gave me this land. Yeah, yeah. it's like it's like the whole like the Bart Simpson meme, like say it. Like he's just like, yeah, yeah, and also (laughs) I'm able to do all this because my parents gave me like a a, a dozen acres. Yeah, a thousand bucks for six acres. Yeah, 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 yeah. six acres for a thousand. Yeah, so that's a pretty good deal. So a couple years after he moves in here, he starts this catering business, um, which was called Sagecrest. They mostly did weddings. And like at that point, he had a ton of employees. It was a much more conventional business. Yeah. And he was sort of playing with the local food stuff, but his menu was a lot more conventional and he worked with suppliers and everything. He wasn't like growing things for the catering business himself, you know. Um, But the catering business... Sort of he to promote the catering business, he opened this restaurant in his basement, which he called the Basement Bistro. And that's where he did most of the local food stuff. And that really took off. And so he ended up closing the catering business um, around like 2000 ish and focusing entirely on this restaurant and making it this like really crazy, fancy, fine dining place. So. With all of that said. Now let's talk about what all of the shady things about this are. Oh, yeah. I was just like, yeah, damn, this sounds like a great guy so far. Sounds really cool. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll start with sort of the most boring thing that I just want to get out of the way. Um, He is not a self-taught chef. Uh, He worked in French restaurants in upstate New York. And the New Yorker guy talked specifically to this one guy who, like, I I just love thinking about this guy. Um, His name is Rene Facchetti. He was a a Breton. 
uh, a Breton who yep. ran a restaurant called Chez Rene in Glenmont, New York, and uh, Damon Burrell worked for him. And uh, the New Yorker author got in touch with him, and he said, quote, he learned from me. He has <laughs> never mentioned it. Yeah. He was my cook, my assistant. I knew his father and mother. I'm the one who taught him to pick watercress, chanterelles, and all those things in the woods. Uh. There's no such thing as a self-educated chef. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's 100% true, man. <laughs> I, a self-educated chef is like a stoned 20-year-old. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like coming up with some unholy concoction in like a dorm kitchen. Yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. Grill, chef. Grilled cheese on a fucking ironing board, you know, like that. There, yeah, on, on a clothing <laughs> iron. That, that's a self-taught chef. Yeah, but I just love thinking about this like extremely bitter Frenchman. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> he took it from me. Yeah. Like, very funny. Yeah, just basically cut like a wrestling promo on his ass. <laughs> yeah, just like so bitter, like so happy to finally be asked. Yeah, yeah, guy. that's because he's just sitting there watching. Like, probably two. Like, yeah, the one thing I know about chefs is like they have almost no free time, and like he's probably too busy to hop on the internet and also doesn't give a shit to defend himself. But he's like, finally, someone came and I can talk to them right. about how full of shit this guy is. Yeah, and like, and the other thing about about Damon Burrell is like he does really court the press. Like, as hard as his restaurant is to get into, like he does really like people writing about him. Yeah. He's like always inviting TV crews. Like, he he likes to put himself out there. Um, according to everyone who's like experienced him, he is like genuinely a great guy. Like, he's really charming in like a very non chef way. Yeah, like the New Yorker. Uh, writer uh compared him to ned flanders like <laughs> he's just like he's just like really enthusiastic and yeah. like kind of a just a positive happy-go-lucky guy that's what's um, up <laughs> yeah, yeah. chefs usually pretty could be some, like some pretty sour people like I, when i worked at uh at pesce and i was doing the salad stuff stuff over there the chef there's cool shit he's a nice guy but he would like, you know, he would like yell at you if you fucked up and then he would apologize mm-hmm. later. But I always told him like, cause he'd always apologize. I, I think that's weird. I don't want to be apologized. I'd rather be yelled at than apologized to. And so yeah. he was like, he would go to apologize. I was like, man, it's cool. Like, I, I do stand up, dude. I'm, I'm used to people being mad at me and not liking Coarseness. what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. And then so like, he would just like yell at me. And then like one of his like rich friends would stop by the little bar. He go, yeah, I love this kid. This new kid's great. He's a comedian. I say fuck anything I want to him. Like, you know, like, look, shut up. Hey, fuck <laughs> you. Hey, hey, I love this kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah just chefs can they can be a little hot tempered and and they also like especially fine dining chefs can be a little bit pretentious oh yeah and like based on this menu you would kind of think this guy is pretentious but he is by all accounts is just like a very personable guy nice um so but he like totally courts the tv cameras and stuff so yeah, I bet the chef was very happy to be asked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, the guy who was just way more stereotypically a chef was like, like yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, that's kind of the least interesting thing, but it is sort of a stat. Like he, the the idea that he is self taught is a little bit a little bit specious. Yeah. Um, but there are sort of other logistical questions that you already kind of mentioned being skeptical about that. Like your skepticism really bears out because like <laughs> the first thing that sort of tips off. Uh, Peter Palmgarten, the guy who wrote the New Yorker article, is that um, Burrell takes him on like a little tour around his property and he's like, there is not enough growing here to feed like hu- like a hundred people a week even. Yeah. Like there's they're just not growing enough stuff. Like the, ama- the amount of food I just ate, like he can't do that for 
the amount of people he says he's doing that for with just this stuff. Yeah. So he, yeah, like he, he says, um, you know, he's like trying to ask him about it, but Burrell just keeps sort of changing the subject. Um, he like, he brings him into like the, the cold frame gardening beds uh, by the barn. And like, that's where you would expect things to be growing. And there like, wasn't really anything growing in there. Um, it just was very like sort of sparse. Yeah. And, like Burrell is showing him all of these different things and it's really interesting, but it's like, yeah, but there's only like one of these, <laughs> like, how are you feeding people with this? You know? Yeah. So uh, another thing relating to that is that his kitchen is really small and that was very suspicious to him. Um, it, it, he said it didn't look or smell as though anyone had prepared a gourmet meal in there. So like <laughs> it's, yeah, like he's just like how is how is he cooking for all of these people in this two hundred square foot kitchen? Like that doesn't this this doesn't track. Yeah, wait, wait, um, does he have any, any like what are his tasting like or his like his uh, seating sizes like? Like how many people does he have in at a time? It you know it doesn't say exactly, but they he does describe like the the tables and stuff in there, and I think I think you could probably fit about twenty people in there word. at a time. Um, but he claims to do multiple seatings a day Yeah, and at at the peak of this to be open five or six days a week. So, you know, like we'll get, we'll get into the math of what he is saying uh, a little bit later, but also um, I just get the feeling this one of those places you drop 450 bucks. Maybe the food's good. Maybe it's phenomenal, but you'd leave still just very hungry. You're hungry. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I I think that's probably true. I mean, you don't you don't eat at a fine dining place to get full. Like yeah, you go for the experience and then you go get a slice of pizza. Yeah, like, after everything was done, yeah, after everything was said and done, how cool would be like, all right, guys, you guys liked it. Here's a BK rodeo burger. It's got onion rings on it. Everybody have one right. of these. I know you're hungry. <laughs> they should just give you a coupon to like yeah, the nearest yeah. pizza place <laughs> after you go to like a fancy restaurant. Yeah, you just like open like a little fortune cookie thing and that's inside. Like, oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so like eventually after being pressed, uh, Burrell takes, uh, Peter, the New Yorker writer down to this like prep kitchen where he does most of the sort of prep work, like all of the, you know, he claims to make cheese. Like he, uh, is, you know, uh, milling all his flour, like making all these oils, all this stuff. He says he's doing it down in this prep kitchen, but even that seems a little bit too sort of picturesque and clean and doesn't look like an operating kitchen. Yeah. It also doesn't have enough stuff in it. Like he says, there's like quote uh, on the shelves were a leg of lamb, a rabbit carcass under a layer of conifer sprigs, a single cooked lobster on a bed of ice, swordfish ham, a few pieces of salmon, uh, a pork shoulder, four marrow bones in a bag with mustard greens. That's not enough food for one night of service, let alone, you know, a week or something. So, that's also, like, very yeah, it weird. Just seems like, like I can just see that not even being real. Like, he's just like, oh yeah, I got a lamb leg here. It's like plastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's just fully bringing in already cooked food, like yeah. in steam table trays or something. Yeah, yeah. I would like, just, yeah, this yeah this totally. I would be on the lookout for like, yeah, like any kind of wrappers or anything. Just like, like, just I would, yeah, I would definitely look because it's obviously not. A, yeah, it's not enough. It just doesn't add up. Yeah. And, uh, like, another thing, again, he says he makes cheeses, and, like, he says he makes three dozen cheeses at a time, which, like, Peter, the New Yorker guy, he's like, I talk to cheesemakers, they're like, that that's, like, more than a full-time cheesemaker makes. Like, that, yeah. and it's just this one guy, especially he says he doesn't use rennet, he uses, like, organic 
uh, coagulants and stuff. And they're like, that just would take forever. Yeah. Like, this is not, this doesn't seem right. And um, yeah, so like Peter sees some cheeses and stuff, but he's like, I don't know. You yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't, he, th- the thing that I think is like to get from this is like, you don't see any of the like signs of people making this stuff. Yeah. You know, like of work, work in progress. You're not really seeing in this prep kitchen, which is weird. Yeah. You know? So, um, another thing that's very strange is, so as we said, he does get some things from the outside. So he gets his meat, um, his seafood and his dairy from the outside. He says he gets his meat and dairy from a local farm uh, run by some Mennonites near him. And he won't let anybody meet them. Like, he won't put Peter in touch with them. Um, he's like, they're Mennonites. They don't like the media. Yeah. And like, <laughs> yeah aren't, aren't they, like, the, the ones that are mo- a little more chill? Like the Mennonites? They're, like, I think they're, like, a little less intense than the Amish, but kind of similar. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> but, well, you know, I can't but, introduce you to them because they are unvaccinated. So there you go. Right. Sorry, Buster. <laughs> but like peter does some research and he's like there aren't any mennonites in that part of new york like (laughs) this is like doesn't make any sense when you go to fucking mennonitefinder.com he's like wait a minute (laughs) (laughs) yeah i guess they don't really have social media profiles yeah 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 i'm I'm over here swiping through tinder i don't see a single wide brimmed hat i I think you're lying (laughs) but yeah he like he won't let him meet his seafood supplier uh he he just he says quote i assure you my meat comes from farms and my seafood comes from the sea which is a very <laughs> weird attitude from a guy who is so obsessed with the origin of all of the stuff he grows yeah yeah you know? <laughs> my seafood comes to the sea i'm not even these little you know land fishes or anything like that yeah of course your seafood comes to the sea. Well, i guess you have farm right. fishes as well that's yeah okay i'm done i guess but like no i mean it's just it doesn't tell you anything yeah, yeah like, exactly it's just it's just weird for him to be like, don't worry about where it comes from when everything else is like so he's so clear about where it comes from. Yeah, know? yeah, very yeah, very true. It, it it feels like he's like kind of regretting having this dude out on his property at this point. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he also like he wouldn't let the the New Yorker guy meet his wife. Um, his friend Terrence, who handles his reservations, uh, he doesn't let him meet him. Um, <laughs> You will never yeah, you're me. laughing because I feel like you have, have predicted what is about to happen with Terrence. Which uh, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Due to, to, to uh, the uh, the lie, cheat, and steal tradition, I have a feeling that we've already met Terrence. <laughs> <laughs> but also, it's just funny. Like he's just like like if if Terrence is real, like uh, Darren's a good friend. He's like, I think he's gonna introduce you to Terrence. No, <laughs> like that's yeah. Terrence. Well, that's what he that's what he tells Peter. He says, "quote." The whole element in this day of age of putting everything out there, it's a different generation. We like to keep to ourselves and leave a little bit to the imagination. Yeah, I'm from the peak said. slime generation, okay? We didn't tell people what the meat was. Sorry, call <laughs> me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, back to Terrence. Uh, the, a, another journalist um, who is interested in Burrell, this guy Eric Steinman, he ate at the restaurant in 2012, and uh, a few months later... Um, Burrell let Steinman watch him cook. And uh, again, Steinman said, no doubt he is a talented cook. Yeah. Um, however, uh, Steinman, again, his hackles got raised when Burrell wouldn't give him any information about his uh, suppliers. So Steinman gets a little suspicious. 
Um, and then he gets a call from Terrence, and he's like, "It was clearly Damon." Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, it's Terrence. It was here. obviously you back Damon. Off of my friend Darren. I, I if I yeah. <laughs> if, if I gotta tell you like, again, <laughs> why? Like, why put yourself through that? Like, yeah. it's so weird that he would just call, and he was like, "Damon has a very particular way of speaking." It was very obviously him. Yeah, he's like my so, friend Terrence, who is a British nanny, <laughs> who is clearly not <laughs> me in a dress. You know. <laughs> Yeah, total Mrs. Doubtfire situation <laughs> going on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Damon denies this when he is asked about it. Um, there's some other really shady stuff with the guests, and this is sort of the last, like, big piece of this. So, um, Burrell claims that he has a lot of famous clientele at this restaurant. Like, it is so, you know, buzzy and exclusive. Yeah. Um, he said, uh, here's just a list of people that he said came and, and loved his restaurant. In some cases, he he had quotes from them in pub- publication materials. <laughs> yeah. He said, um, the the famous uh, chef at Per Se, Thomas Keller, he said he came. He said the uh, famous uh, forager and chef at Noma, which is a very prestigious restaurant in Copenhagen, Rene Redzepi had come. He said Aziz Ansari had eaten there. Yeah, he he's said, like, holy Journey shit, man, these acorns taste so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, very weird choices, but I guess Aziz is known as, like, a food guy. So he's okay. like, yeah, Aziz. Aziz loved it. <laughs> Dan and, Cook. Um, Gallagher was here. <laughs> <laughs> so in every one of these instances, um, these people said, I've never eaten there. <laughs> so uh, totally made up. Um, the best version of this was at one point he told a local reporter that the Obamas were thinking about coming and <laughs> you're, th- you're thinking about it. We're thinking about it. I don't know. You know? <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, deciding. Well, yeah. Just, um, Michelle, just, you know, knocking it back and forth over dinner. You know, the kids are out of the house. We got more time to do these kind of things. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, that this was at this point, Obama was still the president. So, um, <laughs> he said, he said that the Obamas were thinking of coming and then he told a reporter, and then the, they printed it in the newspaper, and the White House had to issue, like, a formal denial. Like, yeah. <laughs> they were not thinking about it. <laughs> man, I, man, one time, I forget, I did some open mic at a comedy club in Boston one time, and I forgot the name of the place, but it was on a street called King Street. When I first moved back to, back to Texas, I did a show in my hometown, and this like the, the hometown newspaper called me up, and they were just talking to me, and I couldn't remember the name of the place, so I just called the place the name of the street. I was like, "Yeah, I was in Boston. I played at Kings, and I just said Kings, and I, and it like it showed up in the paper, and they were like, Pat Sorois when he moved away played at the world famous Kings Comedy Club in Boston, and I was <laughs> like, and I was like, oh god, and I was like, I, yeah, I should, probably shouldn't even have said that. Sorry about that. Oh god. A liar, a yeah. liar in print. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. So you know, it, it can happen. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of specious claims about the famous people that have visited there. Um, but then there's sort of the main thing, which is the non-famous people who've eaten there. This guy claims that he has a packed house every single night. That people wait for years to get reservations, um, and he often says, you know, he he tells diners that he has multiple seatings per night this really starts to fall apart quickly um under scrutiny so uh the new yorker article writer peter uh he he checks the names of people that so damon had given him the names of some of some recent diners um 
So he called all these people and was like, can you tell me about your experience at Damon Burrell? And they all, to a person, were like, the food was incredible. It was so good. However, it seemed that all of them had been invited for a special seating. None of them were normal. Like, none of them had gotten through through gotten there through a reservation. Yeah, they all yeah. were specially invited or, like, got a, like, a last minute, like, oh, we have room tonight or, like, we have room in two weeks or whatever. Like... None of them had waited the time that they said that they were. And, 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 a lot of them still, had never even tried to get a reservation. Yeah, and did they still pay though? Yes, they did. Yes. Still pay. Oh man, that's that. That's like dope dealer shit. That's like, hey, yeah. I have, uh, you know, like, like, uh, hey, I, I only have this many uh, insert unit of drugs left, so you should probably just buy them all. You know, <laughs> yes, that's, that's uh, yeah, yeah, that, that, artificial that a, scarcity. Yeah, yeah, man. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> So, yeah, like, all of them had been, like, told, like, well, we're usually closed today, but we're doing something special. Or, like, oh, yeah. we had a seating, but, like, we have room for you. You know, all of that stuff. He So he's like, okay, I you know, I've eaten the food. I also think it's good. I want to talk to somebody who has been there, like, in a at a normal time when there had been other people in the restaurant. Yeah. And he looked for months, and he couldn't find a single person. So oh, shit, man, that's that is crazy. I when you said it was like the 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 like one of the uh, tells was the customer base. I was thinking like he was gonna catch like like an obvious plant in the audience. Like a guy's like, "Gee, yummy! This bark is great, Damon." I mean, man, I've never met. And like he goes on another <laughs> night, and like that guy's back there with like a different shirt. And he's like, "Geez, Louise, <laughs> these crow's feet are splendid." Like that's that's what I was expecting, but I guess this this is way more devious. It makes more sense. <laughs> I mean, I think it's probably more profitable. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Just having his his friend show up and pose as different different guys <laughs> named Terrence. <laughs> so, um, another thing that's like very suspicious is this account that one person gave, where, like I said, Burrell said, "Oh, you know, we're so busy, we do multiple seatings a night." Um, this one guy came to eat there, and uh, it was a night where Burrell was like, "Oh, yeah, we're doing like a late seating," uh, you know. Which is crazy because your menu is five hours. Like, why are people starting to eat at like eleven o'clock at night? Yeah. But whatever, that's what he said. It's be four o'clock in the morning, and you're gonna be hungry. <laughs> yeah, nothing will be open. Yeah. Um. So he he tells everybody, "Oh yeah, we got another seating tonight." Um. One of the people in this party that ate there, uh, left and then realized he'd forgotten something. So he came back to the restaurant and. Like, the house was dark. Like, there was nobody there. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, clearly the second seating was 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 a fabrication. Yeah. So <laughs> He's just, like, comes in, homeboy's just, like, naked and alone, rolling in pine needles. He's like, oh, God, what are you doing back here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. His, in his private time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is Damon time. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like, it's it's... Very weird. And then um, the the Peter, the guy who wrote the New Yorker article, really takes us through it because he's like, OK, let me think about the math here, because this guy said he got one hundred and twenty five thousand requests in three months um, it, and then had to close his reservations. What what would that mean as far as the amount of people he is claiming to serve yeah. if he were like full to fill to 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 deal with that list, you know? And so he says, okay, if they got 125,000 requests in three months, 
they would be getting uh, one request a minute, 24 hours a day. For that <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean, it, it, it's good food, Catherine. <laughs> the food's good. Jesus. <laughs> he also says he's uh, gotten 217,000 table requests. So, like, requests for specific tables um, from all 50 states and more than 80 countries. Uh See, it's all 50 states thing that I don't buy because I guarantee you no one in Alabama has asked about your fucking stupid tree restaurant. (laughs) Absolutely. No one's eating bark. Yeah, yeah, They're like, we eat bark anyway. We don't need to go to a restaurant for it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, all 50 states. Oh, Florida? You got Florida too, buddy? (laughs) It It is interesting. Like, I didn't really think about that, but it is true. Like, it's so funny to turn this kind of stuff into fine dining because, like, all of the stuff he's doing is, like, it's either stuff that like Native Americans did or stuff that is considered like total white trash to do. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I have I have friends that like from Virginia that like grew up eating squirrel and stuff and like and and making, you know, meals out of the stuff that they yeah. found in their in their yard and stuff. And they and everybody was like, You're gross white trash. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You're nobody, not, yeah. Nobody liked them Nobody for cares it. that you're resourceful. Like yeah. that doesn't it's like you're poor and you don't you can't buy food at the grocery store. Like Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. That's uh that yeah, that is wild. Like I like I were like um I, I kind of like my grandma uh, makes uh, you know she she survived or was born during the depression. She's a very yeah. hard scrapping ass woman. And uh instinctively she's used to cut the the we used to, she's make burgers but she would put oatmeal in them which is like a cheap way to like you know mm-hmm. like spread yep. out meat bulk it up yeah yeah and so like i was a kid i just thought that was like a good thing people put in burgers <laughs> like i got and we weren't like we weren't like oatmeal in the burgers poor you know what I'm saying? like but, but it was just that's, like, sure, my grandma, yeah. that's how she rolled and so like i was at my friend's house one time and i was we were talking about like his dad was about grilling burgers and i was like yeah man you throw you throw that beefy onion soup mix in there with that oatmal <laughs> oh player like, <laughs> and like the family just looked at me like are you okay <laughs> are you all right <laughs> yeah it's all it's all relative it's yeah. all about the story you tell yourself about what the food is like that's kind of the moral of the story so yeah like he said 217,000 pending table requests. If, if you average, you say each request is for about four people, that would be almost a million people waiting to eat at this restaurant, which is, like, impossible. Yeah. Like, first of all, that a million people would be that interested in this and willing to, like, travel and spend hundreds of dollars. But also, like, his little patch of land cannot feed a million people. Yeah. So and also, yeah, the whole saying, thing like, is just very specious. At 450 bucks a pop, like, yeah, so, so you're, you were going to make half a billion dollars off this waiting list. <laughs> yeah. <I laughs> yeah, yeah so. You're, you're going to be, like, in the upper 0.01% of income and worth on the planet Earth. And, like, that's, yeah, like, off of some fucking rock slime and some pebble soup. Yeah. Like, I know, sir, that's not possible. <laughs> So, like, this is kind of where the story leaves off. And I so I I looked up as much as I could about this place. So it is like it's still open. Um, It still is the same. Like they they don't really say the reservation list is closed now, but you have to email and like they're like (laughs) they don't have their hours. They're like basically like we're not going to tell you when the place is open. You just tell us when you're available, and we'll figure out what works. Oh uh, yeah, so yeah. Like, spoken like a true guy who lives above his restaurant. <laughs> just right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, and I like they have a Yelp page. Um, they have 14 Yelp reviews, which by comparison, um, a similar very well-renowned um 
restaurant upstate that has i think it i think their dining room is about twice as big as damon burrell's um blue hill at stone barns it's like a very notable restaurant uh damon burrell has 14 yelp reviews blue hill at stone barn has uh 770 so like you know they're like people are eating there but like i went on instagram there's only like a handful of photos of people um you can't like the whole thing is he's like you can't take photos inside but like i would expect this is such a treat for people and i would expect people to like take a selfie outside and be like so excited to eat here like and there's only a couple of those so yeah like i guess like I, I would love to know, because I kind of have a theory about what's happening here, but I would love to know, what do you think is going on at this place? So my theory, that, that, that's funny, I was, I was going to say, because I, I think a reason might be, um, this is the only way he can make the amount of food that he has on hand sustain. You know what I'm saying? Like, the only way he can turn a profit is to increase the scarcity. And, mm-hmm. and, and so it's like, that's what he, he kind of has to do. And, and then also, I feel like there's not... Uh, you know, like he's clearly there's shit he's not doing on that land either. So yeah, I think it just feels like um, I don't know, kind of like, like I would say a ground up kind of scam where it's like, oh, I'm gonna make this place seem super like I'm using the story to sell the scarcity and using the scarcity yeah. to sell the money to my hand. You know, like or however that yeah. like analogy ends itself. But yeah, so it feels like that. It's it's constructed in a layer. It's the the story to explain the scarcity, which really isn't even actually there. And then and then uh parlaying the scarcity into inflated ticket prices i guess that's mm-hmm. what i would say yeah so i also like one thing i found when i was researching this is i found a review of the place from 2008 and the guy who went in 2008 said um he loved it um this was back when it was called the basement bistro it, at the time, it was less courses and much less expensive. It was like eight courses and it was $75. And the guy was like, look, I know it sounds weird to say that a $75 meal is a huge bargain, but this is a huge bargain. Yeah. This is like a really, really good value. And at that time, he was using more outside stuff. Like he used um, olive oil and things yeah. like that. And it was like the olive oil was from like a customer's vineyard like there were he still had this sort of like local story about it but it wasn't like everything is from my land yeah um and it was much less expensive so my theory is that i i don't know whether he is turning a profit i i think his overhead costs are probably really low because it's just him he owns the land he built his house he is growing at least some of this stuff which at least financially keeps his cost down although his labor is pretty intensive um i think the only way he can justify this entire process is by charging the prices that he does and 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 like the only way he can charge the prices that he does is if he has this whole media story around yeah yeah like because if you were just some guy and you were going to eat in his basement, you would not be paying him this much money. Yeah. You know? like, <laughs> I, I do like I do get the sense that it is a labor of love. Like, I do think it is because he is really interested in this way of cooking and this way of living. Yeah. But he's like, the only way I can do this is if like. I, I think he probably has some other source of, of money, like oh, yeah. whether it's family money or like he won a lot of money in motocross or yeah. something like, 
I think he does kind of only cook when he feels like it. But that, like, even when he feels like it, he needs people to pay this much because, like, yeah. it's just so laborious to do all of this. Yeah, I mean, that I, is my theory. Yeah, I get, I get a big feeling that, like, when I ask if he's married, like, I kind of think, like, I don't want to get, get all heteronormative for a second, but I think his wife might be on his ass about what he. She's like, "Hey, you can't." Yeah, just... like I wonder if his wife is like, "You can only do this if you break even." Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. And he's just like, "Shit, well, okay, yeah." <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, yeah, because he was just like, because that, that poor woman is like taking care of a special needs son and shit, and he's just like downstairs, yeah. like yeah, just like, playing with dirt. So she's just like, look, you can yeah. you can play with dirt all you want if it pays the bills. And he like did the math, and he was like, this is never gonna pay the bills. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, dirt play brings me nothing. And he had to just yeah, he had to gussy it up and uh, to, to to justify just not having a job and foraging in the woods all day. Right, and like even if the food was really good and everybody acknowledged that it was really good. I don't know if it would get the clientele that it got without the story about yep. how exclusive it is, yeah. you know, like I, the other thing that is really interesting to think about this is like, is it worth it? And part of me is like, yes, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. part of me is like this guy has designed a pretty sweet life for himself yeah. doing exactly what he wants. And by, and by all accounts, he is very good at it, which makes me feel like, you know, if you want to like manipulate the media to think that this is like, something that it kind of isn't i'm like kind of okay with that yeah i, I oh know. yeah i have no problem you gotta wake up real early in the morning to make me feel bad for like somebody who paid 450 dollars for a five hour yeah. course i mean i've paid good money for good food too and so that's what i'm saying like i just yeah i'm, I'm not over here like you know if you have that kind of money to throw around like you're not hurting for money you know right yeah it's people it's not people who are going to be financially ruined by being duped by him or whatever yeah. and like a, a lot of the um so I read a bunch of articles about him and a lot of them had comments on them. And so it was interesting because there were a lot of comments of people just being like, look, I don't know like exactly what's going on here. I, you know, I don't uh, like maybe he's getting some stuff from outside or, you know, maybe he's, the, you know, buying cheaper meat than he should be or something. Yeah. All I know is I had a wonderful evening at his restaurant. There like, you go. They're just like, look, I had a great time. I knew what I was paying for and I got it. Yeah. So like <laughs> I feel like if he could like if he's in the middle of nowhere, like what if he just like, I don't know, started selling sub sandwiches? Like I bet like he can make a lot more fucking money. <laughs> right? But that I think that's like not what is interesting yeah. to him. Like he doesn't he doesn't want to just cook food, regular food for yeah. people. Like yeah, so I don't, but I don't know. Yeah, like, I would say it, I would I, say worth it, man. It's like as somebody who just very recently I've been, you know, cuz I've been touring a bunch and like it's sort of, it's to the point where like I couldn't uh, how do I put it like I couldn't go back and like like I for the time that I'm in Austin it would be weird for me like I couldn't keep up a job you know what I'm saying so it's all right podcasting gigging now which is cool I like it and it's opened my door to having this like free time to just like take care of my life and get shit done and it's you really cannot put a price tag on that and like mm -hmm. uh, so like I, I can see if this is what he has to do to do what he wants to do which is you know, make mud food and he wants to like, yeah. and this is what he's got to do to do it. Yeah. I say by all means, totally worth it. I think so. Like, I don't know if I'd call him a good guy, but I, I do think this is like a pretty good scam. Yeah. As far as the scams that we got going on. Yeah. Uh, this is nothing like, like, you, you know, if somebody clapped back at him, like, you know, like, like I just watched that, that, the, the Tinder swindler. And when like that lady stole, I don't know if you watched that. Have you watched that yet? Not yet. What is it on? Uh, it I think it's on Hulu or Netflix. I think Netflix. It's dope. Uh, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't even think we could do an episode about it because it just kind of knocks it out of the park. But uh, yeah. 
But yeah, like, but in it, like, one of the ladies he swindles ends up like reverse swindling him, and nice. uh, and, and like I don't want to you know give it away, but she just like don't give it away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She pulls a lick on his ass, and uh, so. Like if somebody did that to him, like like so when I heard that, I was thrilled because you know that guy sucks. But like if somebody did this to this guy, I'd be like, well, hold on, there's no reason to clap, you know, no reason to come back at him. He didn't do anything but overcharge you for pine cones. That's it. Right. Yeah. And also like, and the pine cones were really tasty. By yeah, yeah, you liked the pine cones. So like, yeah. <laughs> don't play like you didn't have a big ass smile on your face eating all those right. pine cones. <laughs> Everybody saw you, Terrence. We all saw you eating all these pine cones. <laughs> Yeah, it just seems like a very harmless story to let yourself believe, even though yeah. it's not completely true. So, but I will say he should um, he should hire that old chef who taught him. Yeah, to, yeah, uh, for sure. Give that guy a job. Yeah. But otherwise, <laughs> by all means, go for it, man. Yeah, that guy's got to buy cigarettes and wine that he d- d- nonstop in- in- indulges in. So yeah, he needs it. I if somebody can get me a reservation at this place, I will go. Yeah, I will say that. I will go. (laughs) Yeah, like I will spend uh, a month of our Patreon money to go eat at this place. Hell yeah! Yeah, yeah, but that that, that sounds dope. I'd be able to do a live episode there. Yeah, exactly. Well, cool, man. Well, yeah, th- Kat, thank you very much for sharing that with us. Uh, That is, yeah, that's an interesting story and uh, makes me want to go get some food. Um, yeah, some real food. Some real food, preference. Yeah, something. Yeah, something with a little more <laughs> substance to it. Uh, like, you know, something nice, like a gas station taco or something like that. Uh, exactly, exactly. But uh, yeah, guys, if you guys enjoyed that, we actually do have a Patreon where we do two more episodes a month. You'll always find two uh, free episodes a month here on our free feed. But if you are like what you're digging, you can go and find another uh, two episodes a month on our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash lie, cheat, and steal. Uh, I'm on Twitter at PZTX. And I have another podcast uh, called Good at Plants, Bad at Life, where a... Uh, Super cool and very knowledgeable friend of mine, Lance Roberson, uh, who is a like insanely knowledgeable horticulturalist and uh, grower of all things plants, just blows my mind every week with fun and cool facts about plants. So if you grow plants or have a little house plant or want to start a garden, and uh, you know you want to figure out stuff about that and laugh a little, please check us out. And uh, I'll be on tour all throughout the South, and you can go to my website or to my website Twitter at pztx and uh, look for my tour dates. And if you live nearby, uh, you know. Have a four-hour drive and come out and see me. <laughs> yeah, I have another podcast uh, called What a Time to Be Alive. It's a weekly rundown of stupid news stories. Uh, that comes out every week, and then we have a, a Patreon-only bonus episode every week of that as well. Um, I am Kath Barbadoro on Twitter, and uh, I do have some dates coming up, but I can't remember when they are. So uh, definitely follow me on Twitter for that. I know I have a paid protest uh, third Friday of every month, uh, Secret Loft on 14th street that is a dsa benefit uh stand-up comedy show and then i have one at caveat in march but uh yeah follow me on twitter for all of that info and thank you for listening everybody yeah guys well thank you very much for listening uh check us out online uh, you know and also our discord has been super fun lately uh like it's a bunch of really good uh discussion about nfts and just really funny stuff around it everybody on there is really great so if you want to join up you get access to that too uh that being said guys we're gonna get out of here uh but thanks for listening and uh be safe be smart but above all don't get caught don't get caught see you next time bye